Welcome back to Green Planet, Blue Planet. You are watching an episode with myself, Julian Gurelai, and Nazia Mestawi. Welcome to the show, Nazia. Hi, thank you. Yeah, it's a big honor to have you on uh, the show today. I was recently part of one of your artworks. You're, you're an artist and you created something called One Heart, One Tree. Um, tell, tell who's listening who hasn't experienced it, what the artwork is and how, how they can experience it. Okay, so One Heart, One Tree is a collective piece of art that gives the possibility to everyone to, to download a smartphone application. Uh, by giving your heartbeat, you give birth to a virtual tree that grows in sync with your heartbeat. So it's all real time 3D. Um, then you add a message to it. And then uh, actually it started in 2015 on the Eiffel Tower for the opening of COP21. So I had a major projection on the Eiffel Tower with about 24 video projectors. And um, then you could see your tree grow on the Eiffel Tower with your name on it or with your message on it. And for every virtual tree that was projected on the Eiffel Tower, a real tree was planted in a reforestation program. So I identified uh, five different reforestation programs on all five continents. And the idea is really to connect the virtual and the real technology and nature. And to me, one very important topic is to use our technologies to help us reconnect with nature and understand that the future we're heading to is the one we create, is the one we choose. So that was one of the very important subjects of the project. The other one was uh, everyone was invited to give birth to a virtual tree with their, heart, uh, with their heartbeat. So it was also to connect life and life, understanding that a tree is not just a way to do carbon compensation uh, or carbon offsetting. Uh, it's not just a decoration or a way to get some wood. It's another living organism and has the right to exist even if it doesn't produce anything. So it's very, very cool. So it has multiple facets of why you really created it. Yeah. But what, what strikes me like the most intriguing right from the get-go is that you're uniting the digital space and the physical space. And instead of having them compete, especially when we talk about tree or the biosphere or living organisms, you say they're actually like mutually beneficial when they flow together. Yeah, using our technologies to reconnect with nature and to give birth to another living being. So it's very symbolic. It's also, yeah, I think there's, there's so many things we can do with technologies. And the future we're heading to is not always the one we would decide to go to. So it's also a way to uh, propose other directions. Very, very cool. So up to date, I think you said you started in 2015 and there were about 100,000 trees planted on five continents? Yes. So we had about 1.4 participants during the COP21 and uh, 100,000 trees uh, that were actually planted. How many participants? 1.4 million. 1.4 million participants during yeah. COP21. Yeah. Wow. So just for those of you who haven't had a chance to actually experience it, um, I was recently at a place in Barcelona where I, I stumbled upon this artwork. And it's very intriguing because you actually are able to, when it's projected in front of you, to physically step onto like, what, what is it really? It's like a, a way that the, the app identifies you and your heartbeat and then the tree kind of starts birthing in front of you in the projection. And then it also signifies that there's a tree being planted on your behalf. Yeah, exactly. Actually, there's uh, technically, if you want to know, there are sensors uh, on the floor and there's also a camera 
uh, in front of you like a Kinect camera, which analyzes your movements. Uh, so we detect your presence, we analyze your movement and your heartbeat, and then it is connected with the, the generation of a, a real-time 3D uh, tree. So you can follow your, your, the evolution of your tree. In the installation you experienced, uh, there's also, thanks to the Kinect, the possibility of uh, helping your tree to grow with your movements. So if you move, your tree would move with you, and it's really, uh, the idea is really to create a connection between you and your virtual tree, so you feel linked with it before knowing that it actually grows in reality. Very cool. That was the fascinating part that the moment you started moving, the tree and the projection started moving with you. So you're using art as a transformational tool to help people experience and embody kind of the change that they want to be part of. Yeah, how, how, does that, how does that become somebody's reality? T tell us a bit more about that. Well, why, why I started to do that kind of pieces of art. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, th I think since the very beginning, uh, actually I was originally, originally I was trained uh, as an architect and city planner. And as an, an architect and city planner, you, you kind of uh, imagine the society you live in and you, kind, you, you work on projections of what the future could be. So you create today structures that are adapted to the evolution of the society. So you always think about what the society will be and what the future will be in 20 years, 50 years from now. And starting to do that, uh, I, I was fascinated by actually, if you analyze technologies and sciences, you, you kind of uh, know what are the potential evolutions of our society. But then once you know that, you also know that the future is being created all the time. So you can also contribute to create it and open possibilities. So that's how I started to create, a piece, to create pieces of art, uh, to open possibilities and create other references. And that's what I do with One Heart, One Tree, saying, yes, we can use our technologies to reforest the planet. Why not? Everything is possible. We just need to make it happen. Then it exists. And then maybe many other people will do that kind of thing or also question the way we use our technologies. And then it will potentially generate another future. So. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, everything is truly possible. As you're saying this, we have someone watching. Mark Angelo Coppola actually just posted. Um, he's planted one of those Eiffel Tower trees. He was we was there and experienced it. So he's saying hi. Um, <laughs> Great. That's very cool to see that there is such an interconnection, right? Like even in this moment where we're live and sharing this kind of uh, broadcast, there are there are actually people who have experienced and embodied um, this change that you're talking about. And I think. It's one thing to plan it and visualize it, but it's another thing when we actually are part of the like refabricating the reality we live in. Yeah, totally. So I'm I'm super curious because before and you told me there is a follow-up project which is called One Hard One Planet. One Tree One Planet. Sorry, One Tree One Planet. Yes. Yeah. It's another project um, on another subject, but of course all subjects are connected with each other because there are some topics I, I believe are essentials in, in our society. I believe today that we feel so disconnected with everything, including ourselves. So with uh, my artwork, what I wanna do is create pieces of art that help us reconnect with nature, but also with ourselves. So uh, I created a piece of art that is called One Tree, One Planet. It's a collaboration with uh, the University of Florida. I worked with a scientist, biologist, who are specialists of uh, genetics. And they asked me 
to, to to create a piece of art that would help them to connect that reflection with a very wide audience, uh, non-scientific non audience. Uh, so we started that work together uh, with those scientists and it's about uh, connecting each one of us with the tree of life, understanding that we are part of a network and that every living organism uh, are part of the same network without hierarchy. We're not at the top of the pyramid, we're not the most complex organism, we're not disconnected from other species. We are part of nature, totally part of nature, and we co-evolve with many different species, including many bacteria or viruses, because actually they feed us with their DNA and it changes us, keeps changing what man is. So it's super interesting to understand also all the interferences that exist between different species and how we evolve. So the whole piece is very much, uh, centered around sound. So I asked the scientists to uh, identify the genes that are common to every living organism. So we share about 50 genes with everything that is alive from bacteria to plant to animals. And uh, I asked the scientists to decode the genome of uh, those 50 genes actually. And for every amino acid, I associated a, a, a musical note. Then I worked with a musician and uh, the idea was to make it audible, to make it a music, a symphony of life. So you can listen to the genes that are common to every living organism on earth. And wow. it becomes, uh, yeah, it's a very beautiful music actually. And uh, it's really the background that you always bathe in, that symphony of life. Uh, and then you give your heartbeat again. I think it's very symbolic to give your heartbeat because it speaks about the heart, but it also is uh, everything that is alive has a, a pulsation. And it's also inter interesting to understand that. So you give your, your heartbeat, your face is recorded, then you will represent Homo sapiens in the tree of life. And then you dive into the tree of life and you're gonna be connected with another species. That species can be, for example, a banana. And then you understand when you're connected to the banana that you share about 50% of your DNA with the banana. You hear the pulsation of the banana. And this is really about questioning. The banana actually has a heartbeat. Uh, it's not really a heartbeat, but every plant has a pulsation. Yeah. Every bacteria has a pulsation. Every insect has a pulsation, even if they don't have hearts. So you don't yeah. need to have a heart to have a-, a Well, everything exists in vibration, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So. Stepping back one step here. So one heart, one tree, people can experience right now still through the application. Yes. Right. And it started on the Eiffel Tower, but are there, are there, is there more planned? Like, will you maybe project that in public spaces around the world? Yes, yes. It's, uh, it, it has been presented in many different places. It was in, uh, in Mauritius, uh, in mm -hmm. Turkey, in Brazil, uh, in India, and it's going to oh, wow. keep being exhibited in many different places. So. Incredible. So it, it continues to travel. Totally. And, uh, and so, so one, tr one tree, one planet, correct? Yes. Where we, we experience the resonance of our own heartbeat with, with other species of this planet. Where can people experience that? Or when is that planned to launch? Uh, um, actually, it was already presented uh, in uh, Gainesville which is the, the place where University of Florida is based. Uh, then um, next year in April, it's gonna be in Atlanta, in the Botanical Garden. 
it will be projected uh, around, I think, uh, April 11th or something like that. Cool. Uh, so uh, I will also add uh, um, an application. I'm actually working on that right now. And in the app, people will be able to interact with the piece of art, to give their heartbeat and their face, etc., to, to be part of the, of the project. They will also be able to totally uh, navigate freely into the Tree of Life within the 2 million species that are inside yeah. the Tree of Life, which is amazing because it's also a, a scientific tool, but a very interesting one and very accessible one. Um, and then they will also be able to take action, actually, because I love the real actions. So for every connection with the species, uh, you will have the opportunity to, to take a, um, a challenge. Those challenges are personal challenges, for example, eating less meat or producing less waste and understanding how each of us personally can have a lower impact on our environment. Because once we understand that we are part of that total network, yeah, yes, then you just want to know how you can at least do less harm to the environment because actually we can change so many things and it starts with us. This is so fascinating and I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I really truly believe the somatic experience of art, the transformative experience when you're actually not just thinking about it, but you're actually having it in your body or you like the way I experienced your uh, one heart, one tree exhibition, like you're moving and the tree is moving with you and you realize another tree is planted. That's what truly changes our consciousness and therefore changes the way we, we interact with each other and, and the planet. Yeah. Zia, I want to ask another question and kind of um, go maybe a touch more personal in our conversation. What, what have you learned if you were to be able to distill it maybe in like three lessons or if it's two, that's fine too. But what have you learned from this exhibit at the Eiffel Tower and when you actually are able to see there's a million people plus experiencing this magnificent state change? What are like some crystallized messages that came through? Oh, I think uh, actually touched really uh, the people very deeply. Um, many people still contact me to get some more information about their real tree because all the real trees uh, have been planted and I, I visited them. So I know who, where, and what trees are, are planted. Uh, so it's a very personal experience for myself as well. Uh, but yeah, people feel really connected with the project and with the experience they lived. And I think it's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I think it also gives the, the world to feel more responsible and more active. And everybody needs that today, how to uh, have, I mean, to be more meaningful all the time in everything we are doing. And it starts with very simple actions, but it's, it's very important. If each one of us do all those actions, then it changes everything. Interesting. So is that maybe one of the things that, that came clear for you is that since your art touches so many people, you, you can see how it actually transforms people to be ready for those kind of actions? I think so. I mean, to me, um, knowing what you should do is one thing, but feeling that what we are doing is wrong or could be much better is another one. And, and once we, are, we feel connected, for example, with nature, everybody wants to do the best they can. I mean, nobody wants to destroy it, it's sure. So once you know how you can destroy less or restore what has been destroyed, and if it's possible to do it, most people would do it, of course. 
Interesting. So creating the possibility is really one of the things that, that was maybe your dream is creating the possibility for people to see how simple it can be. Exactly. And making it easy, accessible. Uh, it's once you know, and if you have the recipe to do it, then yeah, there's no more excuse. It's, it's just mind boggling. I, I totally, I totally see that for, for the longest time, I always thought one of the ways to create a global coherence would be for this is, this is along the lines of, of everybody holding hands, but everybody to start meditating for five minutes once and the whole field of the, the whole field of humanity that, you know, morphogenetic field would change. But this is another way if, if we have people actually participating in art or participating in song on public spaces, I think we're literally transforming the fabric of our society. Yeah. In, for example, with the One Free One Planet project, um, there were many, many children. Uh, so it was in Gainesville. Uh, of course, most of the audience was not scientists. So it, it yeah. was really interesting. And I, I heard one of the a little child, I think he was about seven years old. He was with his mom and he looked at her and he said, you know, mom, I think we're all interconnected. And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the message is shared. And once, for example, a seven years old integrates that, he won't be the same adult. Of course, I mean, it changes everything. Once he understands that he's interconnected with everything that exists on earth, then, of course, you have respect for everything that exists on Earth, including plants and animals, and of course, all other living, I mean, humans, which is not always the case. <laughs> so Interesting, but you're right. The moment that somebody experiences that, especially as a child, like there is no, no denying that that child's, the trajectory of that child's life has, has fundamentally shifted and changed. Very cool. I want to tap a little bit more into purpose in this conversation because it seems to me like for you that it's so obvious to express your purpose in such a natural kind of um, way to do so because it's coming through your art and there is a clear, well, like a purpose from spirit or a purpose from soul that, that is really being shared through your art into large groups. May I just ask, like, how did that start? Like, how did you just have this first idea? I'm going to make transformational art that touches millions of people. Um, actually, it started in the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> so uh, since I'm 14 years old, I always had a passion for uh, quantum physics. It might sound strange, but to me, it was... No, I love quantum physics. That doesn't sound strange at all. <laughs> so it, it questions so much our materialist vision of reality. And, and it comes from science, which is supposed to be the most rational uh, way of perceiving what our reality is. So for me, it has always been totally fascinating because it questions time and space. It questions uh, the materiality of what we are and feel and see. And um, at some point, I tried to share those concepts in my pieces of art. And I felt it was too intellectual, too cerebral, too cold. And I was looking for a way to actually experience it with my body with my senses and not only with my brain into a, an intellectual loop and research. So uh, I, start, I started to look for ways to experience it physically and I decided to, uh, to look for societies that didn't go through the materialist um, shift that our societies are into, I mean, has have built 
and the, the most ancestral societies live in a reality where the immaterial world is more important than the material one. So for example, you will speak a lot about your dreams, uh, about everything that happens into your con conscious or subconscious uh, instead of your daily basic life. And um, yeah, that's how I decided to go uh, to the Amazon rainforest. And the first time um, for the last seven years, I, I started to spend about one month every year over there. Oh, wow. Um, so what yeah. happened in the Amazon rainforest? Like what, what started happening there that, that shifted kind of the trajectory of your own life? Uh, I, I was there to learn. So uh, I, I was there not to judge anything but really to question my way of perceiving reality. So I was there uh, almost like a child, always questioning my own judge judgment because we have so many references, we don't even uh, notice them anymore. We just analyze everything aesthetic or, or judge without knowing that we are judging. So I was kind of deconstructing all my references and all my, my grid of understanding. And I think that, helped me to totally shift into a different way of working and, and doing pieces of art and sharing other experiences. One of the things that impressed, impressed me the most when I was there is to understand that um, the tribes see themselves in continuity with nature. So for them, they have a lot of respect for every living organism. They believe that every tree has a spirit and they're able to communicate with those trees. So it changes everything, of course, if you start to uh, accept that other reality and to dive into that reality, then you kind of tell another story and then you wanna share it with others. So that's how it started. Wow. That's fundamentally a different worldview than as you said, the materialist or scientific worldview, of course but then also the fundamentally different worldview that we find in native tribes or especially in the Amazon or, or the depth of the forests. It's where we're... true everywhere. Actually in Africa is yeah. the same. It's so deep. Sometimes because I work a lot in Africa with the reforestation programs, I have uh, one reforestation programs in, in Senegal in Casamance. So it's Southern Senegal. It's a very, uh, there's many tribes there too and very uh, um, ancient uh, belief and, and they have the sacred woods and they have many things happening in those woods where women are not always allowed. So, but it's so interesting because when I share what um, the Indians tell me with the, uh, the tribes from Africa, they say, oh yeah, it's the same here <laughs> all the time. So, Wow, so there's a shared kind of connection between humans and nature and humans and trees across all native traditions. Okay. Uh, one of my teachers who actually was on the show before, his name is Philip Moore, he um, introduced the, the, well, also native expression of calling the trees the standing ones into my life. And regarding a tree as the standing one and regarding it like another or the same as, uh, as myself or, or a human really changed my perspective also in, in the way of listening to trees who I would say are actually like my biggest teachers because trees have a different form of wisdom altogether yeah 
yeah, of course, I totally agree with you. That's also why it was so important for me uh, in the project to give birth to a virtual tree, understanding that tree is not wood, it's another living organism. It has the right to exist, even if we don't sell it or cut it or <laughs> use it to course. produce fruits. It just is there. It was there before us. We depend on them. So come on. I mean, it's the, it's the most essential thing just to, to give them the right to exist. Absolutely. So, so maybe maybe you're the right person to ask that because it sounds like you have reforestation programs all, all around the world that you're a part of, you're contributing to. So having planted over 100,000 trees through this public project as well, what what is needed in a lot of these reforestation programs or what else can be done? How can we um, understand the importance of kind of connecting with, with the trees, but also maybe planting more trees? Is that really what the, the planet needs at this point? Totally, but not any tree, because most of the time when you look at reforestation programs, it might be eucalyptus or pine woods, you know, it might be just production. They would plant trees, then cut it in 30 years from now to produce something. Then, I mean, it's, is it really interesting? Yeah, maybe you can offset some CO2, but CO2 is not everything. I mean, the tree is much more than just CO2. So to me, the most interesting reforestation programs are the ones that uh, regenerate ecosystems, uh, bring water into the water table, which means to do that, they need to grow for a long time to have very deep roots. Then the whole ecosystem is built around them. It becomes richer and richer. And the more you leave it and the richer it is. So should not plant trees to get them. We should plant trees to let them grow and live and die by themselves. Then, of course, one of the things I did a lot is uh, plant fruit forests. I love that because it's actually a good combination between uh, regeneration of the ecosystems and still uh, producing some fruits. It's not pure produ production. So uh, you share your production with all animals. So it means that there's many birds and many everything there because there's a lot of food. And then also it means that people won't get it because it's fruit and food. So it has interest for everyone, but it is collective. So, so I, I planted a fruit forest in France and in the Amazon and uh, also mangroves because mangroves are also uh, nurseries for fishes, stream, shrimps, and birds, um, and it also protects land. It creates like natural dams. Mm -hmm. And as soon as people who participate in the plantation understand the impact on their land, because most of the time people are farmers, they have rice fields, and if there are no, there's no mangroves, they lose their rice fields because the salt water comes in, right. and it's not possible to grow anything when you have salt water. So as soon as they understand, they will protect the mangroves and it will generate a lot of wealth for everyone and mostly for the ecosystem. So. It seems so simple that there is this fundamental step or, or evolution in our understanding and consciousness that the earth is either a, a thing that we extract from or on the kind of next level of understanding, everything is a living organism and therefore as a living organism, everything is holistically feeding back into the ecosystem. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear to most people listening and to, to the two of us, but at the same time, it, it also seems like 
this very simple understanding still needs to really uh, seep in deeper and deeper and deeper into the human consciousness and be embodied more and more and more. Nazia, what I love about your work and what I really want to absolutely acknowledge as we're on this, on this uh, show right here is that you're bridging the digital space. We said it earlier, the digital space to make people understand this kind of learning or transformation in consciousness. And I think that's where there's a lot of hope because most people fear these phones and they fear what's in them and they fear what's coming with virtual reality. And um, some of the topics I've already, I've already had as a focus point before, because I really believe there's so much transformational power in them. Maybe how can you, in your own words, how can we take the fear out of people's uh, minds and hearts and, and give a little bit more hope? Um, I think it's, it's normal to have, have fear because if we believe in what our future is supposed to be, I mean, it's, it's really, it looks like hell. So <laughs> that's absolutely not where we want to go. So I think it's up to us to build our own future. We should not just accept what is supposed to be our future. We should co-create it. And it's, I mean, we have to be responsible and feel responsible for everything we are doing, including our future. We are part of it. So let's not accept what is being proposed to us, especially if we don't like it. Interesting. Very powerful. Let's not accept what's being proposed to us. So that kind of leads me into one of my, my core questions. And um, th those of you who've listened to some of my episodes before know that this is really kind of the core of the show and is becoming more and more also the core of my thinking is I truly believe we have an earth vision that we're not inventing. We're not making up. We're not imagining as in creating a fantasy, but an earth vision we're kind of receiving. So in, in your own words, if you were to contribute to what you're seeing as an, an alternate earth vision, we, we could maybe create hope and uh, optimism and positivity around like the next 200 years on this planet. What do you hope for? What do you see? What do you think becomes possible when we're actually co-creating? Uh, I would dream to have a society where instead of GDP, we would have a kind of an element that could value the positive re uh, impact we have on all ecosystems. And the more positive impact you have on an ecosystem, the more uh, value you would have, which is true actually. And to me, uh, one very big inspiration are, for example, ants. Ants represent once or to twice the weight of humanity. And they are everywhere on earth and they have a positive impact. And more than that, they invented um, agriculture. I mean, they've been doing that way before us and they still have very positive impact. So there's no reason why we should not be as smart as ants. I mean, at least let's try. Yeah, there's no reason why we couldn't be. I, I, yeah. I think we just need to find more and more ways to be as obviously interconnected as ants and work yeah. together on this co-creation. Yeah. It seems like we're pulling on two different directions on this planet at the moment. So let's, uh, let's let these messages be heard louder and further and wider. So if you like this, or if you're listening, just hit the like button, click the share button. I think there's more and more people who want to be part of this, this conversation. And it's not just a blind conversation of optimism, really. It, it's a conversation of what are we able to create and co-create. Yeah, and we should not abandon, uh, again, the future to the wrong hands. Let's, let's build it. Very powerful. Let's build the future together. I like that, Nazia. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Thank you for, for sharing a little bit about your project. 
And um, where, where else can we experience some of your projects? Like you said, in April next year in Florida. Yeah, um, where else in Atlanta. Atlanta? Um, yeah, and um, many other projects will come soon, but I need official confirmations before sharing it with you. So, but I, I will give you information as soon as I, I have them. Sounds good, and I'll share it. Thank you so much. Thank you, it was a pleasure. I hope you too enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast, and join me and others in the conversation on Facebook, Green Planet, Blue Planet Podcast. Wherever you are, have yourself a summer day.